This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Got plenty to get to today. Ethan Finley from Minnesota United will be with me in just a little bit to talk about the season, to talk about being a new dad, to talk about the identity of the Loons, and uh, talk a little fantasy football, too. Um, Apparently, the Loons have their own fantasy football league within the team. Talk a little draft strategy with him as well. Going to get into some Viking stuff because Kirk Cousins talked yesterday for the first time since some major news earlier this week and got a Little League World Series update because someone from our region is absolutely dominating the Little League World Series of baseball. But first, what did I miss? Slightly bigger people playing baseball. Minnesota Twins, again, this point in the season, don't always focus on this team right now, but plenty of interesting things to note from their 9-6, 10-inning win over Boston on Wednesday night. First off, as I tweeted on, uh, on on Wednesday night, I was kind of following the game, helping put the kids to bed, things like that. They're night owls. It's still summer. And uh, so I, I see that uh, Colomay is in to pitch. He ends up blowing the, the save in the ninth inning, gets out of the jam at least, gets them to the 10th inning, and then Hansel Robles... Uh, gives up five runs in the 10th inning. Now, normally that would be really bad news for the Twins, but remember, they traded Robles about a month ago at the deadline, so it's only fair now. I'm used to Colomay and Robles both getting lit up in the same game, but now at least there's one on each team. There's not uh, There's not both of them on the Twins, so Robles doing it for Boston. They traded for him at the deadline. He gives up five runs, a couple long home runs to Jake Cave, and uh, and Josh Donaldson, Twins hang on nine to six. And I got a text from Royce. It's like Patrick Royce. It's like ten o'clock. A little bit after that, says call me. I'm like okay. Um, you know, he and I talk fairly regularly, including obviously for this Monday podcast that we do on this show. But uh, I was like okay. I was I was assuming it was work related, but I you know anytime someone texts after ten o'clock, you're like oh something up, something wrong. So I'm like yeah, hey, give me a minute. I'll, I'll I'll give you a call. So I give him a call. And yeah, of course it is. It's about the twins, and he's like, "Are you watching the game?" And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, yeah, I was watching the game." He says, "You know, or I was, I was paying attention to the game." And he's like, "You know, you know, I'm not gonna do the full-on Roycey voice, but it, it's a great, it's a great voice." Uh, he he's basically says he's watching, and and the, the the twins are rallying, and more no, Justin more no, the twins analyst said. The twins rallied because they were trying to pick up their closer, um, Alexander Colme, trying to trying to you know after he had the rough ninth inning, trying to pick him up. And I think most people probably would have just walked right past that line and said, "Oh yeah, that's what baseball players do." Royce was cackling about it. He was like, "They're trying to pick this guy up? Are you kidding me?" Like the guy that ruined their season. So that that's the backstory to all this. But uh, Royce called me. To, we we had a good laugh about that. But you know, maybe they were trying to pick him up. Who knows? Maybe Colomay is still popular in the dugout in the clubhouse. We'll we'll see. But he did blow another save, got them to the tenth inning at least, where old friend Hansel Robles gave up the bomb. Now, interesting stat I saw tweeted from Aaron Gleeman. Couldn't believe this because I haven't been paying attention to this. This was like my pet project at the beginning of the year, so I can't believe I've I've fallen behind on this. But uh, Gleeman tweeted that since starting the year 0-8 in extra inning games, and again, that was something I was tracking very close when things were going poorly at the start of the year, the Twins are 11-2 and 2 
in extra inning games since then and now have the second most extra inning wins in all of baseball. Amazing. Just wanted to share that with you as an update of sorts in case you weren't paying attention because I haven't been paying attention certainly to that stat nearly as much as well. But the big thing I need to talk about off of this game is Miguel Sano crushed 495 feet home run to you know pretty much dead center a little bit a uh, little bit off center but 495 exit velocity of like 116.7 the longest home run in the majors this season i think he's got like three of the five longest home runs this year and i you know when i when i saw it when i tweeted about it i was like I see he's doing that thing where he gives us hope again because this is what Miguel Sano does, right? He he hits balls so far, and he he has this talent. But what do you do with Miguel Sano? Where does he fit, if at all, into any kind of future plan? So it kind of got me thinking, like, what what's the what's the short term, you know, medium term, long term with Miguel Sano? So here's his contract status. Basically, he's under contract for one more year next season. I think he makes about $9 million. He signed that extension that was essentially three years, $30 million, bought out some of his, you know, bought out some of his earning power. Um, but his salaries actually fluctuate by the year. Next year, it's a little bit lower than it is this year. So a little over $9 million next season. That's, of course, guaranteed. Baseball contracts are guaranteed. 2023 is a team option for around $14 million, if I'm not mistaken, because it also includes a $2.5 million buyout or something in that range. So... Basically, you know, you could go into this offseason and you know think about trying to trade him. You could look at his body of work this season and say, well, maybe he's turned a corner. You could fool yourself into thinking that. I mean, basically since mid-May, he's got like 20 homers and 280 at-bats. He's got, you know, a 835 OPS. He's hitting 240, which isn't great, but that's, you know, that's doable. That's okay. Like the the, the first month and a half of the year just completely tanked his average tanked a lot of the other things he's got going on now he's always going to strike out way too much I saw our Phil Miller tweeted an amazing stat the other day that uh, that caught my eye basically saying uh, where where twins players fall on the team's all-time uh, strikeout spectrum Miguel Sano already number four on that list uh, despite having way fewer at-bats and he just passed Kirby Puckett on the the all-time strikeout list for the twins now Miguel at that point had 966. I think he had one more in in Wednesday's game, so 967, I would say. Um, but he has 2,318 career at bats. He's already passed Kirby Puckett, who has 7,244 career at bats. He passed Puckett in strikeouts in like 5,000 fewer at bats. So that's that tells you a little bit of the feast or famine nature of Miguel Sano. Not that you needed further reinforcement of that, but, you know, what do you do? What do you do with Miguel Sano? you got so many guys that you have questions about going into 2022, these guys that were prospects three, four, or five years ago. What do you do with Byron Buxton? Do you try to trade him in the offseason? Do you try to work out something long-term? Is he going to rejoin the team soon because he's been playing in St. Paul? That'd be nice. Um, so a lot of questions about those two, especially core guys, that you know we've been hearing about six, seven, eight years, and that have produced to a certain degree, it, you know, for the Twins, but you know, are not, you know, for whether it's health with Buxton or production with Sano, the inconsistency have not cemented themselves even as even as future you know pillars of this organization. So, 
Well, I'll be really interested to see what happens with Snow in the offseason. He's a corner infielder. They've got a lot of those. I don't know if first base is his best position. I don't know if that's his best value, but he's he's been hitting better lately. The more you think about him hitting better lately, though, the more you realize, is that just fool's gold, and is that really going to hold up? One more quick Twins note, too. Joe Ryan, the uh, pitching prospect that I really liked that they got in the Nelson Cruz trade, had a really nice outing again on uh, on Wednesday. I think he went five innings, gave up one run, eight strikeouts, so... I would like to see Joe Ryan here sooner rather than later as well. Speaking of guys like Jose Miranda that I would really like to see with the big league team. I'll get to Ethan Finley in a minute, but I also want to touch on Kirk Cousins because he addressed the media on uh, on Wednesday for the first time since earlier this week when you know the Vikings brought in Michael Osterholm to talk to the team about vaccines. Cousins, notably a vaccine skeptic. He didn't have a whole lot to say about that per Mark Craig's uh, story, basically saying it was good information, kind of brushed that off. The more interesting thing to me was that he got on the record about Everson Griffin's return and, again, didn't have much to say about it, but was asked about the tweets of Everson Griffin about eight months ago and, uh, you know, saying, you know, being unflattering about Kirk Cousins and saying that Mike Zimmer never wanted him. So here's the audio of Kirk Cousins' rather short answer about that. Yeah, we actually talked in January, so yeah, it's kind of old news. Yeah, but it's great to have him back. Great to see you smile around the building. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I talked to him a couple days ago. Yeah. Now, Cousins was smiling through that short answer, so you know, hard to under, you know, hard to really know where his his head is at on that. I don't think he loves it though. That was the last question he took. Um, sometimes when athletes don't want to talk anymore, that's what they do. They cut things off. I'll just be curious to see how this plays out, whether this is something that becomes a thing. I've mentioned this. It's been a rough camp for Kirk Cousins. It's been a rough preseason. Sounds like the starters are going to get some more run in this third game because they didn't do so great in the second game. Still time to turn this around before the season starts, but you know, the more you say that, the time keeps getting shorter and shorter, and this Everson-Griffin thing still remains fascinating to me. I'm Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer at the Star Tribune and the first five-time guest in daily delivery history. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast, our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, and even all of Rand's future blog posts about how the Timberwolves should trade for players they will never get, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to be joined today on Daily Delivery by Ethan Finley, Minnesota United. Um, it's been an interesting year for Minnesota United, I'd say. I think I feel like the last time we, we might have talked, things were it was right at the start of the year and things didn't necessarily go great at the start of the year. And now things are going considerably better. Got yourself back into that, that kind of playoff mix where you want to be. Um, first, of all, first off, Ethan, welcome. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, you uh, you said it right on the head. At the start of the season when we maybe last spoke, uh, we were we were down in the dumps, and you know, zero and four start is never good in any sport. Uh, but yeah, we we got the train in the right direction now. What what was it that got things moving? And when you start zero and four, I feel like there's certainly an element of you know you're not going to panic because it's you know the season's only you know ten percent over or whatever it is, and you still believe in what you had at the start of the year but at the same time you kind of you know when you start 0-4 there's got to be some elements of like oh I gotta start winning pretty soon and are we on the right track kind of thing yeah I think I I took a lot of solace in you know the 0-4 start 
it could have easily been a two and two. We could have gotten points out of some of those games and, and just didn't. Um, we're unfortunate. Um, you know, ball luck is a real thing. And I don't think we had much of it at the, at the start of the year. And, um, I, I knew we were creating chances. Uh, and I knew some of the chances that we were giving up were, were very much preventable. They were mostly errors, uh, on, on our side of the ball. It wasn't like we, we were being dominated in, in the play. So for me, I thought it was always things that we could, we could address and, 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 and improve on. And I think that's what we did. And, you know, I've been in this league 10 years now and it's the dog days of summer that separate teams. Um, and, and that's what I think we've, we've done it, you know, saying that I think, you know, we're sitting fifth in the table. We think we could be sitting much closer to, you know, three, two, one, uh, some of those top teams right now. Um, we've dropped a couple points, I think with some ties most recently, um, which we're disappointed in, but that's a, just a shift in the mentality, uh, from where we were, you know, three, four months ago when we were just trying to, to get a win on the board. Now we're starting to look at, you know, how do we seat ourselves? How do we get a home playoff game? Um, Yeah. How frustrating is that idea of ball luck in soccer? I mean, every sport, there's an element of luck. But when there's a sport like soccer and people, you know, people who aren't soccer fans are like, oh, every game's 0-0. And that's not it. I mean, that's just dumb. But, like, there's not going to be a lot of goals scored in a game. You, know, you might get two to four goals in a given game. And, like, that's that's it. Like, uh, it, luck can play a huge part in a game both ways. And it probably evens out over the course of a season, you would hope. But when you go through a stretch like that, where you're not getting it, how frustrating is that? It's extremely frustrating. It's, and it's frustrating for individuals when, you know, they're going through a possibly a scoring rut or they're not playing their best. Um, and, you know, something, a touch or two just goes the wrong way and, and sends a player in on a breakaway after a guy's had a fantastic game, you know, that, that can happen to a center back or to a goalkeeper. And the same thing on the offensive side of the ball where, you know, ball's coming across, it looks like it's going to be an easy finish and, it skips one way or you don't get your feet right in that moment. And, and you don't take advantage of that chance in the game, like you said, ends zero, zero. And that, that little small play can make a huge difference. And then the other side, the, 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 the luck aspect of it, you want to create, you know, some of that and put players in, in tough positions. But um, you know, I just uh, comes to mind, you know, San Jose last two games they played, they had two own goals, you know, one, one against us, uh, in a game that we ended up drawing. And then, uh, you know, three days later when they played the LA galaxy to get a two, one win on the road. And, you know, you have to create those moments, of course, but that little ball luck and that can change your season, get three points on the road in a place like LA galaxy. So, you know, those are just small examples that I look around the league and I see every, you know, every so often. So, you know, we got to create that luck. Um, and, uh, I think we we're going to continue to press and we'll, we'll be all right. You referenced that maybe United is, played better than their record indicates and maybe some of the advanced passing numbers bear that out some of the possession metrics uh, is that how it feels right now that you like you said you could be sitting a little bit higher right now even though you are fifth I do you know scoring has not been this club's issue really since its inception in, in MLS um, so for us to be in the drought that we are um, I don't know the numbers historically but it does feel very different um, than, than it ever has. And I've been here for just about every game. I, you know, I miss think the first 17 or 18 games of this club's, uh, you know, MLS years, but it, it, it seems like it's one of the worst droughts that, that we've been in. And I think it's what's weird is it's as kind of as a collective, um, you know, we added a player like Adrian Hanu, you know, at the start or, you know, a couple games into the season, it takes time for international players uh, always to, to get incorporated. They always say usually six months. Um, so as a player for him, you know, guys come scored a lot of goals in France, you know, I'm sure he's frustrated 
know, Robin Lode has played sometimes up top and our leading scorer being out with a, a little bit of a knock right now. So, you know, Ray, another guy who, you know, he creates a ton of stuff, um, but probably it doesn't have quite as many goals as like, I, we know he's capable of, he's definitely capable of being a double digit scorer. Um, so you just, you know, and, and that it's, it's an expectation that we have of each other as a group. Um, so for us as a group to just kind of be down in the scoring myself, right. You know, we're creating these chances, but putting them away is one thing. Um, but I think if we do that, that, that scoring becomes infectious. And so uh, we just really need to break that seal. Hopefully, uh, hopefully on Saturday against Houston. You mentioned Reynoso. It seemed like it took him about five minutes to get used to uh, international, uh, him coming over as an international. But yeah, definitely, you know, I'm sure not like things came easy last year and he's, he's still having a really good season. But, you know, is there an adjustment period? You know, you, you come in, you have so much success. He's still, you know, I think, ball possession metrics. He's still like number two in the league, things like that. Like just everything he's doing is still is still all the right things, but does that happen to a player sometimes where things are so good one year and then the expectations get raised even higher and then it's hard to, uh, I don't know, do all those same things in year two? I think it is. And I think what I've seen with Ray, uh, you know, just from my point of view is, you know, teams are focusing on and, and, you know, the way to stop him is, is they're fouling. They're trying to be physical with them. Uh, we've seen in the last few games and I think Adrian made some comments and you hope referees <laughs> yeah. look into that and, and see that and ref that, you know, it happens in every sport. And we talk about all the time about NBA and you see how different players get different calls. And that's, that's part of the game. That's part of the sport. Uh, it's part of the type of player that he is. He does attract defenders. You know, he wants to bring them close and take them on one v one. Um, so I just think he needs to, as a player, and he already has, is, is look at those moments and say, okay, how can I maybe change my game a little bit here and there, make an adjustment. Maybe I play a little bit quicker in this part of the field so that I don't, you know, get ta- tackled unnecessarily in these moments. Um, but I think, you know, in saying that, I think he has done a pretty good job at that. I mean, he, he, he's made adjustments, you know, him and Kevin had a great combination uh, relationship last year. And I think now moving into 21, um, you know, he's found that relationship with other players. And so that's just, that speaks to his quality and his ability to adapt uh, to guys around him. And so, you know, we, we just have to continue to feed him and get him in, in good spots. Aside from get the ball to Ray, what, what do you think is the identity of this year's team? And it's a good question, Michael. Um, I, I'm not sure that I can give you a clear answer, clear answer on that. And I think, um, you know, that's, that's something that it's not a concern of mine, but I definitely think it's something that we, we have not clearly established um, internally and even externally. I mean, I, I challenge someone else to say, you know, what our, they think our identity is. I, I think our identity for a very long time has always been a team, you know, first and foremost, that uh, is really tough to break down defensively. And I still think that that holds true um, with some of the results we've had, with the goals against that we've had. I think we're, we're in the top, uh, top five or six teams in, in the league at goals against. Um, so I think that still speaks true. Um, where I think we don't clearly have an identity right now is, you know, the possession aspect and what we're doing with it. I think our possession numbers are up than they were in previous years, but now what are we doing with that and how are we, you know, taking advantage of that and isn't an advantage for us. Um, so for me, it's, it's, you know, looking at those types of metrics and, and establishing um, if this is our best playing style and if this benefits us, um, going forward and, and how can we maximize it? And so for me, you know, we've had more possessions. So how can we maximize that? And that to me needs to be, we need to be a little bit better in the final third. We need to be sharper. We used to be much more of a transition team, a team that our front four could really get out on teams uh, when we had great defensive shape. 
And now because we have a little bit more possession in the final third, you know, we need to be able to figure out how to break teams down. And I've seen that in the last two games, you know, having a man up for, I don't know what it, the total numbers, maybe 160 minutes. It's, lot, it's, yeah. it's, it's a lot, right? Um, that's been a challenge for us. Um, when, when they have, you know, 11 or 10 guys, you know, behind the ball, that's been extremely challenging. So we need to, um, figure out how to break teams down like that. And, and cause if that's going to be our identity going forward, um, we need to perfect that. And I don't think we quite have yet. Uh, we're, I feel like we're close. Um, and I think when we can do that, then that the possession aspect that I think our identity has become with the addition of Ray, um, we'll be able to maximize that and, and probably play our best stuff. You born in Duluth, right? Born in Duluth. Yeah. So you kind of grew up in various places. Does that make you still one of us? Are you one of us? Well, so I asked this good question to uh, my good friend, Brent Coleman, who oh, yeah. is also owned as a, uh, as a Minnesotan. And I said, well, you know, if you're born in the United States, you're an American, right? You're from the United States. So I th- that's what I think. You know, I, you know, now people do move here. But a lot of times people who move here and they still have their citizenship somewhere else, they are saying, hey, yeah, I live in the United States, but I am from Canada, you know? Yes. So my argument is I was born in Duluth. Brent is my, my, uh, my guinea pig because Brent was actually born in Nebraska and Ooh. moved here when he was two. I don't think um, I knew that. That's controversial. Yeah. 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 Brent, so is definitely brand- Brent is definitely branded as one of us. Exactly. So um, I like to say, say that I am, I'm cut from the, the cloth of the North woods here uh, because I was born, uh, born in Duluth. When did you move from Duluth? Uh, about four. Okay. Moved to North so, Carolina. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? And, Duluth? and I was. Do you remember Duluth? I, I, re- I do. Um, but you know, my wife and I actually went went up and we actually drove up to Topkey, Minnesota. Um, uh, I don't remember it as well as I kind of thought I did. There was there's there's a couple landmarks and things that I experienced. My dad played I you know men's ice hockey. I remember running up and down like. Like he played over in Superior and then running up and down these like Superior like hockey rinks. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I remember the bridge, uh, you know, that being just like kind of a uh, figure or land landmark in town, obviously. Um, I probably don't remember as well as I think I thought or I thought I did. I'll, I'll be honest about that. I'm going to give an official ruling. You are one of us to, uh, to me. And now you play for, you know, the team in which you, you know, the state you were born in, at least, does that carry significance to you? Or is, does that, because you moved away so early, does that connection not as, as strong? No, I think it's plenty strong because, you know, we, I went from Duluth to North Carolina and then North Carolina to Wisconsin, central Wisconsin, about two and a half hours uh, straight east of here. And, you know, we spent a lot of time in the cities and I spent a lot of time in, in Wisconsin and Minnesota up and on and, you know, played a lot of teams, you know, played Chag St. Mary's back in the day and actually almost went there in the boarding school situation and did soccer. Um, so for me, it's always, I've always had like special memories and the closest club at the time was Chicago fire, but I didn't feel like, I, you know, you can ask anybody from Wisconsin and Minnesota. We all agree. We don't want to be affiliated with anybody no. from Illinois, you know? No. So, um, so for me, you know, I think it's really special. I never honestly envisioned a day that a place like, uh, Minnesota or, you know, Minneapolis in particular, St. Paul, even Milwaukee or Madison would like have a professional soccer team. And now you look at that. Um, I know Milwaukee has the wave, which has been there for a while, but, you know, forward Madison obviously as well. Um, you know, I think we're potentially could have a women's team here in, in this community. I think there's an opportunity to have a, a USL team still in this, in this region as well. So the fact that soccer is like 
in, like growing in this area and is kind of now going to be embroidered, hopefully, um, in this next generation's, you know, lifestyle right along there with the Vikings and the Timberwolves and the twins, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you mentioned kind of growing up and now you are a dad. Yes. We're fairly recently, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's right. I, I, I'm a father of one. Um, uh, my, my baby daughter, Blake was born May 2nd. So about four months old. So you're in the midst of it. Uh, longtime podcast listeners know I have three kids. I have a seven-year-old, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. So I'm not going to I'm not going to dispense dad advice, but I'm just going to ask you, how's it going? You know, it's good. Um, I, I, I have a lot of friends who are, um, have had babies, uh, before me or are actually going through it right now. And so I've had a lot of people I can use as a sounding board and, and, you know, they ask me questions. I ask them questions. So that's been fun. Um, what I've probably learned from that, and I try not to say it too much because I'm going to jinx it, is I have a pretty good sleeper is what it seems like. Oh, and it's a big deal. Big deal. It's a big deal. Um, I'm not some who, someone who actually needs much sleep, but my, my wife definitely is. So I'm very thankful because, uh, you know, her being happy and having her batteries recharged is extremely important to uh, to make sure this family uh, gets from point A to B. Absolutely. <laughs> that's a, that's a very, uh, that is a very astute point. I think, you know, sometimes I hear from athletes who, you know, right before their first baby is born or even just right after that, that can be kind of a, a stressful time. It could even impact performance. Did you have any of that come into your, did you, the intermixing of, you know, personal and professional as, as you were waiting for this to happen or right after it happened? Yeah, I think you're crazy to say that it doesn't affect you. Um, whether it's stress, whether it's lack of sleep, um, just a, it's just an emotional time, uh, you know, obviously extremely positive. Uh, and, but it, it definitely, it, it takes, it takes away, um, some of the energy and emotion that you have to put into, you know, training and games and whatnot. Um, but, you know, saying that, I think I had a pretty good support system here. Uh, my wife's family has, has come up plenty. My family's been in town. So we've had a lot of people to be able to support us and help us, especially, you know, around game time days, you know, when those first couple of weeks are happening and you're just trying to get a fair amount of sleep before, a, you know, a big game. Um, I'd be lying to say I didn't enjoy a couple of the road trips that we had in early <laughs> May. I felt bad for my wife, uh, you know, kind of being here alone. But like I said, she's a trooper. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, anybody who says that it's not not hard um, and it wasn't difficult in the transition, but everyone's dealing with stuff. That's what I always say. You know, everyone's got something off the field that that podcast, you know, people all listen to this are, are dealing with um, sure. that are doing regular jobs and they go to their jobs and, you know, they grind it eight to five and um, they don't complain about it. it doesn't affect their performance. So I, I don't like to think that it affects my performance yet by any bit. Big time professional soccer player and new dad. Do you have time still for fantasy football, sir? Yeah, well, we, we do. Um, I, <laughs> I was actually reluctant to even do a league this year. Um, in fact, I took kind of last year off and COVID. I was like, ah, this just feels like a weird fantasy football yeah. year. It's too much going on. Um, so we actually didn't do one last year. It was the first time I probably haven't done one, honestly, since I've been in the league. Uh, and it's kind of, you know, every team is different. We've got, you know, it depends on how many international guys you've got. Trying to get those guys into fantasy football can be a little bit challenging. Uh, but we've drawn a couple guys in. We're actually, I think we're at maybe 10 or 11. We might be on the cusp of 11, so we might be looking for a 12th or having to cut somebody out of the league. Um, but we will have a, a Minnesota United fantasy football league that will, uh, that gives us plenty of good banter in the locker room. 
You got any draft uh, strategies? Any uh, who are you looking at? You Wisconsin, so you are you Aaron Rodgers? Are you are you on that train? I you know what I'm a Rodgers fan. I had Rodgers a couple of years ago, uh, him and Devontae Adams, which was obviously a great combo. But um, I I try to to stay away from my heart when I'm when I'm in fantasy football. I'm full GM mode. I'm locked in. I'm cutthroat. I you could be my you know actual friend, and I'd be like, hey, I had to move you. You know, it just it is what it is. Now you know how Adrian feels. I, I get it. It's, it's not, it's not a, it's not a fun business. You, you don't have many friends uh, when you're at the top making those kind of decisions. <laughs> Sounds good. Ethan Finley, appreciate you joining daily delivery today. Get some rest. Good luck this weekend and with the rest of the season. All right. Thanks, Michael. Take care. You too. Really enjoyed that conversation with Ethan Finley. Good, you know, just good perspective. I thought his answers about the, uh, the style of the team and the identity of the, the loons was really interesting in particular too. It'll be help me kind of watch how this team plays down the stretch and whether they are kind of able to forge a, a more cohesive identity, especially on offense as the season goes along. Let's finish with the cooler. My goodness, Gavin Weir of uh, South Dakota, Sioux Falls playing pitching in the little league world series had his fourth, no hitter left-handed pitcher, Fourth no hitter going back to the regional stage. He's given up, you know, going back to going back to all of the regionals, all of the play in in the Little League World Series and regional play. He's given up one hit and walked six guys in 132 batters. And this most recent no hitter was Wednesday against Torrance, California. Struck out 14, no hits, no runs, one nothing win. Amazing work by Gavin Weir, 12 year old pitcher. He's been called the best pitcher in the country. I can see why, and uh, he'll have another chance to do this. I think on Saturday might be the next game. They are all the way to the semifinals now, so congrats to him. Congrats to Sioux Falls, and we'll see how far they can take this. Thanks for joining me here today. Chris Hine on Friday's show to talk a little Timberwolves. Had a really long conversation and a big story coming out on new owner Mark Laurie. Want to talk to him about that, as well as a little bit of the Patrick Beverly trade that got finalized on Wednesday as well. Haven't talked to Chris about that. So that'll be coming up Friday. Tons of good stuff coming up next week as well. Thanks for joining me here today. I'm Michael Rand. We'll get you again on Friday.